you beyond the borderline this is a podcast dedicated to exploring in a realistic and hopeful way what it's like to live with borderline personality disorder and other mental health problems. My name is Aline and I am your host for this podcast. I want to issue a proviso at the beginning of the podcast which is that this is absolutely not a substitute for professional mental health and or medical intervention. So please seek out those sources of support if you need them. And I also want to mention that I will be discussing topics such as self-harm and suicidal ideation and addiction that may be triggering for a number of people. I aim not to discuss those topics in a detailed way as I don't really think that adds anything to the discussion and does not really fit in with the mission of this podcast. However, in a spirit of being authentic about my life with borderline personality disorder, those topics will be mentioned in this and subsequent episodes. And I will do my best to issue trigger warnings before I start discussions about those or other potentially triggering topics. Hi, this is Aline from Beyond the Borderline. Okay, quick heads up, this episode requires a trigger warning as I will be mentioning self-harm, suicidal ideation and issues related to addiction. If you're not in the most grounded state of mind right now, I recommend you hit pause and save this episode for later. I recently had a suggestion from someone on Twitter that I do an episode on stigma and BPD. That seemed like a fruitful topic to explore because BPD or EUPD as it's called in the UK sadly comes with a fair amount of stigma. The term personality disorder in itself suggests that if you have one, there is something fundamentally flawed about your very way of being in the world at a core level, which sounds disheartening to say the least. On the other hand, and receiving the diagnosis, setting aside the negative associations that come with it, can be a huge relief as it does explain why one is suffering so intensely, as well as opening up options for treatment. In this episode, I will discuss the topic of stigma and BPD, drawing largely from my personal experience. You may identify with some of what I share, you may find that your experiences differ. Either way, remember that even if we share the same diagnosis, our life experiences, interests, backgrounds and opinions on things may differ. Seek out varied perspectives on stigma in the context of mental health and how to deal with it. I personally received a formal BPD diagnosis in 2011. Without going into my entire life history, I was at a very low point in my life. I was in my late 30s, having walked out of an addiction-focused rehab where I had gone primarily to deal with an eating disorder and self-harm through abusing pills. At the rehab, though I was being treated for addictive problems, my emotions and behaviour were very troubling to me and to others around me. I became obsessed with a fellow resident and sat in the dark clutching a knife because he wouldn't pay attention to me. I spent an evening, I remember, kicking a sofa in the common room because I was enraged and did not know why. I was told I was overdramatic and not authentic in the way I expressed myself in the groups 
And although looking back, I can see how I could have been perceived this way, the reality was that I was so emotionally and mentally overwhelmed that I did not know how to express myself or even to know what I was feeling. A whole lot of other things went on at this rehab, culminating in me walking out after having asked to see a psychiatrist and being refused by staff members at the rehab. I took a train to my parents' house and spent a couple of months between mental health professionals, A&E departments, recovery meetings and street ventures where I sat alone drinking alcohol and taking pills. It was a pretty desperate time. Eventually, a psychiatrist diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder and this was after I had managed to stop consuming alcohol and non-prescribed pills with the help of local recovery meetings. I would say that my first significant experience of stigma therefore was at the rehab. I've asked myself why I considered this experience to be so disheartening and so stigmatizing when I had previously been in situations where I had felt stigmatized. And I think with this particular situation at the rehab, I had gone in expecting it to be the answer to all my problems. I received the message that this was a place where I could be myself, share myself and belong and yet all my best efforts to do that failed and I found myself feeling alienated and estranged from the group. Now I fully admit that some of that was due to my own perceptions at the time and not necessarily to do with the reality of what other people thought of me and how they saw me and I do know that there were several people at that rehab, patients that is, who cared very much about me. The thing is, is that with untreated BPD, it is very difficult to have a balanced perspective on oneself and on other people because one is in, in my experience, extreme emotional pain and operating with cognitive distortions about oneself and the world around one. Now, I see in hindsight that my behaviour probably came across as strange, disturbing and to some degree willful. At the same time, looking back, I can honestly say I simply could not control it. I was suffering with untreated borderline personality disorder and I did the best I could in that context to ask for help, which was denied. Now, I'm not saying that all rehabs take this approach by any means, and I think nowadays the needs of people with dual diagnoses or coexisting addictive and mental health problems are more widely understood and better treated. However, my personal experience was that I was treated with a certain degree of judgment at this facility. On the other hand, my introduction to recovery meetings did allow me to stop consuming alcohol, which in turn allowed me to get a formal mental health diagnosis. For me, getting this formal diagnosis was a massive relief as I had been trying for years to manage my life, including spending a lot of time seeking therapy, help from various recovery meetings related to eating problems, money problems, codependency, etc. I studied, I requalified, I worked, yet nothing seemed to work long term. Inevitably, I would experience mental and emotional crashes, often linked with obsessions with other people, 
who were pretty much unavailable to me. These obsessions almost inevitably led to suicidal thoughts and despair, and in general, I found it very difficult to maintain friendships or relationships of any kind. I felt alone, abandoned and ashamed. Receiving a diagnosis and a referral to an intensive group therapy programme was the first step towards seeing myself as a deserving person with a long-term health condition that needed to be treated rather than intrinsically bad, a mistake or a liability. If I think back to what about that group therapy programme helped to chip away at the stigma that I had towards myself for having BPD and that I felt from the outside world, I would say that one core aspect was that finally, by not only professionals that formed the team that oversaw the therapy programme, but also by peers, at a deep level, I felt understood. I'm not saying that the programme was easy, far from it. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And often the days at the therapy programme were rife with conflicts and difficult situations interpersonally, some of which could become quite volatile, even frightening, as can be expected if you're in a room full of other people like yourself with personality disorders. On the other hand, it was also a healing space. Combined with recovery meetings, it was a really great experience for me, despite the fact at the time that it often felt like pulling teeth. Another part of what made this experience a positive one in terms of reducing stigma was that I was finally able, both from the professional team and from peers in this group therapy program to get a more accurate perspective of my family's response to my mental health struggles. Now, perhaps without meaning to be, my family had been quite invalidating, including when I received a diagnosis. For various reasons, they did not want to fully admit, in my opinion, that I had a serious mental health problem. They didn't want to discuss it and they minimised my mental health problems and the struggles I was going through as they had done when I was younger and clearly needed help. Discussing these issues in the group therapy programme helped me to loosen my sense of myself from the sense of self that had been imposed on me by my family. Along with this programme, I moved into supported housing and I continued to attend recovery meetings despite many interpersonal difficulties in these meetings, which I may discuss in another episode. Despite the ongoing interpersonal problems with both the recovery meetings and to some degree supported housing, I was introduced by these environments to the concept of peer support. Peer support has been an invaluable aspect for me in the support system I have done my best to build and also as a way of challenging stigma. Ways that I have given and received peer support include recovery meetings, being a service user rep for the housing unit I lived in, doing formal peer support training for a local mental health charity and facilitating a peer support group for that charity. These activities put me in touch with other people experiencing similar struggles to me 
and gave me an opportunity to help others through my own experience. I also learned valuable and sometimes painfully acquired lessons about how to safely and reasonably interact with others, particularly if I was supporting them. If you are looking for a way to feel a greater sense of belonging and to challenge mental health stigma in your own life, and if you feel able to at this time, I highly recommend finding a peer support network or doing some voluntary work, perhaps for a mental health charity. You could try local support groups, mental health or other charities to discover opportunities. Another aspect of challenging stigma is to get the help you need. Now, I do know that saying seek the right treatment is all very well, but at least in the UK, it can be extremely difficult, particularly for those of us with borderline personality disorder and mental health problems in general to access the correct treatment. Many of us, if we do even get a diagnosis, are placed on long waiting lists for therapy. And those of us that need medication often spend a long time until we are prescribed the right ones. Many of us also have coexisting conditions such as depression, eating disorders or bipolar disorder, which can provide added complications. I don't have any easy solutions to these ongoing systemic problems, but here are some things that have helped me navigate the mental health system when I felt discouraged, sometimes to the point of despair, particularly by what seemed to be a very stigmatising approach by mental health professionals. The first one is crisis lines. I personally can't count the number of times I have called crisis lines like the Samaritans in the UK and vented about feeling suicidal, talking about what was causing my urge to self-harm. I was advised once by a peer that if I found myself speaking to someone on a crisis line I did not feel comfortable with, rather than abandoning the idea of using the crisis line to end the call and call back to speak to someone else. Now, while crisis lines are a short-term solution, I have found that having access to a non-judgmental and validating listener really helped me to accept that I was in emotional distress and did deserve care and attention. Crisis lines have often prevented self-harm episodes and they have given me a bit of relief that allowed me to keep going. Plus, they're accessible 24 hours a day. Another suggestion is if you are finding it difficult to access treatment through the NHS or whatever your social welfare system is in your country, consider private therapy. Now, again, I realise it's all very well to say that. And in fact, private therapy is often out of the realm of possibility of us for many who have financial constraints. And let's face it, mental illness can wreak havoc on our ability to earn and sustain employment, no matter how qualified we are. But bear in mind that many therapists offer sliding scale rates for people on lower incomes. Plus, there is an increase in therapists who offer services via Skype and even telephone, potentially for less than face-to-face -face appointments. I suggest looking at the National Association of Therapists and Counsellors in your area or country and making sure that the person you choose is on this register. I also recommend ensuring that the person has experience in treating and working with people with BPD. This can be hard to find, but it is possible. I was very lucky to get the treatment that I did receive. After leaving the group therapy programme that I was able to access through the NHS, 
I sought out private therapy and currently spend a significant chunk of my weekly income on that therapy, I do consider it worth the money. Alongside therapy, I personally have committed to learning dialectical behavioural therapy skills via several online groups, which I have been a part of for several years. In an ideal world, we would be able to access evidence-based treatment as soon as we needed it. However, life unfortunately is often unfair and I have found that learning to research and advocate for myself are invaluable skills. Self-teaching DBT skills via a supportive and focused online group has really made a difference in my ability to feel better about myself and my life, even when times have been hard. Please use common sense in online and live support groups too. Consider what information you share and honour your gut feelings if you don't feel comfortable or safe around another person. At the end of the day, many of us in these groups are struggling with severe and ongoing issues that can cause us to be vulnerable to others and also potentially to act abusively to others dealing with similar problems. Now, I learned this lesson in a particularly difficult way when I found a recovery group that addressed both mental health problems and problems with addiction and it's a group that I continue to attend to this day. In my first meetings of this particular recovery group I thought I had found the grand solution to all my problems. This was the first time that I'd encountered a group of peers working on their problems with both mental health and addiction. It is a wonderful group and I encourage you, if you do have issues with addiction, whether that's with drugs and alcohol or with other behavioural problems like eating disorders, compulsive debting, sexual addiction, etc., that you find a group or a service that offers a dual diagnosis treatment if possible. The thing is that I had very high expectations of this group, some of which were met. However, I overlooked the fact that, like myself, the other people in this group were somewhat vulnerable, were not perfect, and sometimes were not ethical or kind in the way that they treated other people in the group. I got into some major interpersonal problems with one other member of the group in particular, which led to me leaving that particular chapter of the group. However, I have discovered other groups dealing with similar issues and set one up myself with another peer. Another absolutely crucial aspect of challenging stigma for me has been finding interests outside of the mental health arena. I choose to see myself as a whole person who is more than just a diagnosis, however impactful the effects of that diagnosis have on my life. And I do admit that some days it can feel harder than others. Personally, I trained in my 20s as an artist, attending art school, and I have always been creative, so refinding a creative pursuit was my particular route. I initially tried to start a dog accessories business, and by the way, dogs and animals are another passion of mine. 
Looking back, I was at that time slightly hypermanic and emotionally unstable despite the progress I'd made. And I also was not on the correct medication, I now know. So some of my decisions when I tried to launch this dog accessories business, including securing a business loan I'm still paying back and getting a wholesale order of leather dog collars made that now sit in a cupboard were not the soundest decisions I could have made. However, I did end up with some basic business experience that helped me, as well as a desire to keep doing creative things. So I started making jewellery and selling it at local markets, and I added on some adult education courses in jewellery making, which were, in addition to exploring my creative passions, a really great way to meet other people in a relatively safe and contained way. Acting on my creative passion has given me a focus and a sense of purpose in addition to my commitment to mental health advocacy. It also gives me something to talk about that is not mental health related that can be really helpful when I'm interacting with other people. And it's a way that I can practice being mindful in my day-to-day -day life and building mastery. From my own personal experience, I can heartily recommend looking around and seeing if there's something you would like to try that could enrich your life. That could be learning a language, exercise, doing something creative. The possibilities are endless. And I personally really recommend adult education courses as a way to dip your toe into new interests that you might want to pursue in future. Now, speaking of talking to other people, something that has changed dramatically for me over the past few years is the degree to which I disclose to other people about my mental health history. When I was first diagnosed, I pretty much told anyone I encountered that I had BPD. This was my way at the time of dealing with the stigma. I thought I'm not going to be defined by what people think about BPD and mental health in general and I'm going to be open about who I am and what my problems are. I took an unapologetic approach that was facilitated by the fact that most of the people I was interacting with were in some form or other involved in the mental health system. Now the benefit of that of course is that it was a release to be able to say this is who I am, this is my problem and if you don't like me you can lump me. However there were some distinct disadvantages to this approach one of which is that I shared information with people I thought were safe because I met them in a recovery context and in fact I found myself being exploited and taken advantage by them. Another disadvantage was that as I learned, people being human do judge. And as there is a lot of misunderstanding about mental health and certainly borderline personality disorder and personality disorders in general, it can be quite painful when we are judged inevitably by other people, even if they're well-meaning. I've had some outrageous things said to me by people who I don't think realize the impact of their words. Looking back, I can laugh about this, but at the time it was very painful. Over time, as my social and interpersonal circle has expanded, I have become much more cautious about what I share and with whom. Now, I do think the issue of to whom and how much you disclose about your mental health condition and history is a personal decision. That said, I do think there are factors to bear in mind when making this decision, and here are some of them I consider to be worthwhile bearing in mind.
Do you owe the person in question an explanation about your mental health condition and or mental health struggles unless they're a close family member or friend or someone with whom you're in a relationship you might not. One thing I want to share from my experience is that sometimes I have been slightly paranoid that I come across in a way that is discernibly in quotes big quotes here, mentally ill, and therefore I feel this urge to justify myself and explain to other people that I have borderline personality disorder, mental health condition, etc. And what I've found on reflection is that my perception of myself is not always accurate. People don't have any sense that I am struggling. It's not my responsibility to tell them, in my opinion. If disclosing your mental health condition could impact your income, your prospects at work or other environments such as a study environment, I personally would think carefully before disclosing. Now, there are exceptions. I can understand that in certain situations it would be your responsibility to disclose to an employer. I'm not an expert on employment and mental health. However, I do think that this is really worth spending time considering. I will share one experience that I had which ended up being quite positive where I disclosed to an employer that I had a mental health condition. I certainly did not go into details about what that was. In this instance it was a good experience because the employer was absolutely fine with that and even asked me what they needed to look out for in case I started to become unwell. That was a charity, so I think that they probably had a fairly evolved and informed approach to mental health. That is not always the case. Please take the time to weigh up your decision whether or not to disclose. Finally, I would caution you against being too open in recovery groups that address addiction and even general mental health peer support. This is purely based on my own experience. I found that in these groups, because there was an expectation that we were all sharing honestly about our problems and our lives, that it was okay to share fairly in-depth about my particular issues related to BPD. Now, I had unrealistic expectations and unfortunately, I found myself being invalidated, shamed, blamed, misunderstood and sometimes, unfortunately, exploited by people who saw me as vulnerable. I would think carefully before sharing information about my mental health struggles in a group of this kind, before consulting with a peer that you trust or a therapist or someone who can offer you a balanced opinion and help you to make your own decision about how to share and what to share on your terms. I think I'm gonna leave it there for this particular episode. Hopefully I've given you some ideas and some of my own experience which you can relate to about BPD and stigma and how to minimize stigma in your own life. As always, I'd really love to hear your feedback and your own experiences with stigma. 
and you can share those with me by tweeting me at beyond the border three on Twitter. That is at beyond the B O R D E number three, not spelt out the number three. As always, I wish you a peaceful 24 hours and at the very least a few peaceful moments in your day. Please stay safe, take care and speak to you soon.